pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. It's Monday. Everyone, a lot of people enjoying this holiday, February 21st. It's also school vacation week. And folks, meanwhile, on the other side of the world, we have some uh, very serious problems here. And uh, unfortunately, none of it good with the situation with Russia, Ukraine. I recognize not everyone is fully up on the story, paying attention, but it is very, very serious. Um, And the news is just continuing. I'm seeing right now, Putin announces he'll make a a decision on the recognition. The security in Moscow is now ended. They're looking at even adding more territory which is is not a good scene at all. So uh, I'm just looking at some um, headlines that are just crossing right now. U.S. claims Russia drawing up Ukraine kill list. Now, the Washington Post reported this. Who would be taken into um, custody and then who would be killed immediately? It is a very serious situation. The There's some great reporting that's out right now, and that is the fact that um, this... Um, that the uh, Putin has decided that he's just had it. You know, it's it's also interesting that they're saying that part of this seems to be the fact of the pandemic that he was locked away because of everything that was was going on. But this has um, been building for quite some time. None of this is good. I recognize there are some people that still fully don't get that. You know, why should I care about that? Well, watch what this does to the market. War in Europe, there's nothing positive about that. Coming up a little bit later, there was a very interesting article with, uh, excuse me, interview with the the head of Finland in uh, Dana Bash on CNN. But this, folks, this is China and also Russia deciding they want to remake the world order. Let's go to, this is ABC's This Week with Martha Raddatz, who's broadcasting from Ukraine, as a matter of fact. And this Russian aggression is not good for stability in Europe. Can't change his mind, but I do think that right now uh, he's moving towards uh, large-scale invasion. So then the question is, um, what does that mean? It means not only is Ukraine a threat, but really all of the global order, and certainly Eastern Europe is a threat, because if President Putin is bold enough and brazen enough and foolish enough to do this, uh, who knows what else he'll be willing to do. That is exactly right. Poland could be next, and then he just keeps going. So there's no element of it. But I want to get to, actually, I'll play it right now. Um... The president of Finland, now Finland, uh, over 800 miles of Finland, borders Russia. Think of that. And the president of Finland, I'm not going to butcher his name, but it's interesting. He says that this is a different person um, than he's, he's known him for, I think, over 10 years and said that this, he is just a, a different individual than the person that he had been dealing with. And he felt that a big part of this with Putin was in fact because of the pandemic. Let me pick it up. This is the president of Finland with uh, Dana Bash on CNN. I, w- I would uh, say that might be the nearest one at least. Mr. President, for people here in the West who don't know Vladimir Putin, don't understand him as you do, please answer this. Is he an irrational leader with a large army or is he a fundamentally rational leader with a strategy? This is a very difficult question to, to me, too. Even though I have met him several times during these uh, 10 years and uh, had several phone calls with him, uh, it is, like we all know, it's very difficult to say and uh, define what other person actually, deep down, is. But uh, uh, so far, I would say that... Uh, he has behaved in a way which is uh, very difficult to predict, but that might be also intentional, to, namely to behave in the, that way, because that brings confusion to, to surroundings. That's right, a lot of confusion. And, uh, I said that uh, we are a bit confused at the moment. Yes. 
You have uh, an excellent said that point. You noticed a change. Listen to this, folks. In Vladimir Putin in the last year, this is significant. And said that he suddenly quote started to behave in a very very decisive way. Hmm. Can you be more specific about yes. what that change was? And Listen do you to this. Think that's connected at all to the way that he's really isolated himself during yes. the pandemic? Yes. No, actually, it happened that way that we had a telephone discussion like we have had several ones during these years. And uh, when I uh, took up the list of demands he had uh, posed and told the Finnish position that uh, we surely uh, are going to keep our sovereignty and uh, right to decide ourselves, then he suddenly, uh, very officially, uh, I, and I think he read the whole list of demands, and that was a change in his behavior, and I would guess, uh, and from that I guess that uh, he wants, at least wants to be very decisive, wants to sound like one. Folks, it this, was different kind of behavior. Yeah. So, Folks, you this will... is, um, he is 69 years old, Putin. He's all about legacy. He feels that that the West is interfering, that Ukraine was taken from him, and he is on a mission to take it back. We're going to cover in a lot more uh, what this could do to the price of things, what this could do to your 401k, what this could do to world order. Um, there's a lot writing here and he that the president of finland is exactly right you want to talk about confusion and misinformation i i'm not convinced the president of france running around saying oh no let's have a summit well you know where was this in december where was this in january let's be honest i i don't think that president biden is physically up to traveling to the other side of the world to sit down with any type of uh, summit and don't forget what happened with bob Kraft's super bowl ring if you remember putin not only tried it on he kept it he liked it, and then Kraft had to accept that he was just going to keep it. That's what he does. He's an international gangster. He takes things. If he likes something, he takes it, and that's what you're dealing with right now. All right, a lot more ahead. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body today, 401-272-3340. Were you in an auto accident? Someone damaged your vehicle? Folks, it can happen. Whether it's people not paying attention, a drunk driver, people texting and driving. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Remember, with West Fountain Auto Body, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Call them today. If you were in an accident, drunk driver, someone texting and driving, minor fender banner, even a nearly totaled vehicle, Call West Fountain Auto Body today, 401-272-3340. They'll handle everything for you, the original, the best. And if you're in an accident and a tow truck pulls up, tell them, bring that car over to West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340, 401-272-3340, West Fountain Auto Body, located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. They'll work for you not the insurance company. If you're in an accident, call West Fountain today. Get it repaired. 401-272-3340. Folks, you're listening to the John DiPietro Show weekdays. We start at 11 and we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It is time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining me is the managing editor for anchorrising.com. It is Justin Katz. Justin, I'd like to start off uh, whether or not people agree with them or not, but um, it was pretty extraordinary to me that Attorney General Peter Narona was um, basically willing. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people thought he would just rubber stamp this hospital merger. I think there's a long list of people that that are Democrats of the state house that would have just rubber stamped that that merger. Uh, both parties spent a tremendous amount of money on it. There's a lot of different fallout from it, but I'm anxious to uh, start off by hearing some of your thoughts on it. Well, to me, the the biggest takeaway from that 
a whole ordeal is what a mess our, our government has, has made of the state. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, you, you've gotten to a point there, they never address the underlying reason that they're, that these companies are, are looking for mergers. They never address if, you know, Nerona will say we need to have competition, but then the state imposes all sorts of regulations and taxes and so on to prevent a competition from uh, from developing, which is why you get these big monopoly institutions. And so, yeah, the the politics and the policy get, get very, very complicated. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to know whether this was the right decision for him to make at this point. But the we really need to take a look at, at how we structure things in this state. I think we're going to see more and more, you know, if, if you forbid them from taking this step, well, there has to be an alternative and we have to fix the system that's broken. And I, I Put it right in line with the nursing shortage. I think these are early indications of problems we're going to see more and more of, and it's not only going to be in healthcare. We're going to start seeing our restrictive policies pop up all over the place as the state continues to fail. Uh, that, that to me, is is the biggest takeaway from the whole thing. I want to um, just point out, and I recognize it's not everyone kind of caught it. It's the end of the week and school vacation week, but. I, um, I, I want to give him a lot of credit because, Justin, as you know, I'm just trying to picture some of the former AGs that were in that position. Um, we, we both know there's no way that Attorney General Peter Kilmartin would have had. First of all, he never did press conferences, but he certainly was never available to the media. He wouldn't have done. I mean, there was Nerona standing there for an hour, knowing that, you know, he was going to take some shots, answering questions, defending his position. Um, I, I thought it was very pointed the way he was saying that he still – you know, still can't figure out exactly what Brown University's role was, even though, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that Governor Raimondo was part of we got to get Brown involved and they committed a large sum of money, one hundred twenty five million dollars. But just the the point of standing there, taking the bows and arrows, taking some of the questions, um, I just find it to be a stark contrast from we're seeing Governor McKee, you know, falling over himself left and right to try to appease all these you know, the different unions between the bonuses and what the teachers want. He's still got the masks on. And, and personally, I found it refreshing to have someone. Peter Nerona, to me, is, and again, I don't agree with all his policies and some of his views, especially on some of the gun laws, but, but to stand up there and be held accountable and basically for a full hour answering every question the press had, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was a refreshing and a, and, a, and a big moment. And it's kind of an example. You never see the Senate president do that. You never see the speaker do that. And as I said, whether it was uh, Patrick Lynch or Kilmartin, you never would have seen past attorney generals kind of hold court in that way. Yeah, you make a good point, although, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the the low threshold for stand when, when answering some questions. I mean, it, it seems clear his Nerona's uh, office did, you know, they, they didn't just do this quickly slap dash and do whatever made no. complete political sense. Uh, they did do the work. They did research the issue. They did put together and come to the up to the, with the answers. Uh, the attorney general didn't just, he was involved enough to be able to stand up there and answer questions without, you know, having to, you know, just, say, oh, my staff took care of it in a, in a sense. Right, the way we've so seen that's, Governor that's all yeah. do with these COVID briefings. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I, and I, you can't blame, as you said, you can't blame just McKee. That's just the way we're accepting what we're accepting from our politicians these days right. in Rhode Island. Uh, and that goes to the problem I was saying earlier is that we really have to address this. So, yeah, I can't I can't really fault Nerona um, for, for doing for what he did. And, and he did. You know, the, well, the attorney general has the advantage that he has a pretty clear role in government. Right. It's, it's he's the, the lead law enforcement person, you know, supposed to be taking care of the law, which gives him a body of, of information to work from. Um, so it's it is nice to see that that hasn't completely fallen over. And I, I think you're right prior attorney general uh, would not oh have stood God. up to this extent. Um, so in that, in that regard, yeah, I think, I think he, he probably, you know, when he, when he took office, I've been somewhat disappointed in Nerona, uh, particularly on open government stuff. Uh, but the, uh, but when over, I, I, th I think I remember us discussing how, you know, he had a stellar reputation as a, oh, yeah. as a gun attorney. job. And so it, it is good to see that he hasn't completely, completely uh, thrown that over in his time in office. Quite the opposite. And, and I think even the local media, and again, folks, our segment is politics this week. <clears throat> local media was even stunned because the merger had gotten uh, uh, basically, it was 
um, the unions were on board with it. And so normally it's in Rhode Island, that's almost like, you know, the white smoke coming up in the Vatican, like it's a done deal that once they sign off on it and they're endorsing it as union members. But I think to uh, stand there and and not only that, and you're right, he didn't uh, defer because he had a full team. It was very extensive, three million documents. It almost to me, you get the sense that the healthcare people, they thought this is going to be. You know, what what uh, Alan Dershowitz called the Rhode Island shuffle, which is, you know, they'll go through all the motions, but there's no reason to worry about it. It's kind of like in the bag. And therefore, then they weren't answering a lot of his questions. Justin, there's, I, I'm also curious to find out, you know, there was some high power lobbyists involved with this deal. So with 28 million, you kind of wonder where was some of the money going? Raimondo was early on board with this. McKee seemingly kind of stayed out of it. Um, I noticed that. General Nerona announced that on, on Thursday, Friday night, uh, Governor McKee posted a picture. There he is at Brown University at the basketball game suddenly with the president of Brown, maybe trying to do damage control, realizing, oh, wait a minute. You know, the former governor, my predecessor, Raimondo, who I'm filling out her term, she was all about this. I've stayed away from it. And now all of a sudden the thing falls apart. But I, I, I think to a, a larger issue. You know, Pina Dorota, you go back to before the pandemic when uh, there was talk about, you know, investigation and Mattiello with the grand jury at the convention center. And he came right out of the box, right out of the box and said, I'm not running for governor. And, and people didn't kind of fully get it. But I got it because immediately you were hearing waves from, you know, Smith Hill that, oh, he's just doing this and going after Mattiello to gear up for a, a run for governor. And, you know, Nerona immediately took that off the table now. Conversely, everything he talked about, I agree with. Competition. These people at an 80 share of the market. How is that better? Uh, it's just going to raise prices on less service, raise health care costs. Justin, I think you picked up on a great offshoot of that, and that is someone saying, okay, so it's basically like K through 12 education. He's describing the public education system in Rhode Island that has failed. Uh, and and, it, you know, the usual suspects start to push back like, oh, you can't compare the two when it comes to lack of competition. I think he, I think Peter Nerona made the case of why the public schools have failed so poorly. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, the, the in 2012, when I looked into this for uh, to do some economic projections for school choice policy, at that time, the, the district schools, and we're not including charter schools or state level schools like Highlander, the district schools were all... Uh, we're 85% of the total enrollment in the state, which is worse than what, what Nerona was saying, the 80% that, that the hospital merger would create in healthcare. And it's the same deal. It's the same centralized decision making. It's the same, you know, all the big policies are made at, at the top and the, at the state level. And they filter down with limit and through the education unions, always trying to equalize their contracts. And even more so, the, the folks like Bob Walsh, who, who object to the comparison, they want more centralization. They're, I yeah. mean, so it's only, they, they want all the decisions to be made from the state level where they have a ton of power that's not that's not really in dispute and so it's it's just hilarious all oh, this is a, there's plenty of competition with the private schools and all the charter schools yeah that's that's nothing it's all talking points and i but i think it, it we can learn some some great lessons by comparing the two i mean what what McKee ought to have been ready for with Nerona's announcement was to come out and say, okay, here's the next step, you know, uh, in a, in a functioning, functioning society, the governor might even have had a little heads up. I'm going to, I'm going to say no to this deal. You might want to get an answer ready. Uh, but that's, that's really what we, we need is that kind of, here's the next step. Here's what we're going to do. And I think that translates just fine right into education and which for McKee in particular should be a strong spot since he was strong in the, the mayoral academy charter schools and when he was a mayor uh you'd think McKee would be ready to to jump off on on that and maybe maybe help with that but he needs the union vote but yeah we we have no choice in education so if if it's not if it's not good to have a monopoly in healthcare. Why does it work in education? I think that's an excellent point. It was, it was made also by Erica Sanzi, who's been a very, very vocal on these issues in Rhode Island. And also, you know, when those types of discussions come out, you also see, you know, Walsh likes to crow about some of his colleagues. He's got certain minions in the media. He has certain people that, you know, he would contact who would ask his questions verbatim in these press briefings. And then when some of these things pop up, you, you start to see 
and these people show themselves of who are they are, who are kind of like Walsh's puppets. Justin, I want to just push back on the telling Governor McKee and everyone else, because, see, I think, and as someone, I, I knew Peter Neroni when he was U.S. attorney. I've interviewed him and covered him now as, as attorney general. I He is so different than the rest of the crowd at Smith Hill. I think he is, by the way, I think he's right not to trust them. If he had told McKee, um, if you tell McKee, if you tell the Senate president, you tell the speaker, I believe that the Nerona people, and I think rightfully so, view it as they immediately pick up the phone. They tip off the unions. Now you have the union people making a circus before the announcement's even made, and they would kind of sabotage his announcement, whereas by him keeping it under wraps, he didn't. He controlled the narrative and didn't allow you know, any circus-like atmosphere outside or people putting out statements. I think you're right, though, that uh, Governor McKee basically had – he didn't know how to react. He, he wasn't prepared. Uh, the Speaker of the Senate President were totally caught off guard. I view that as that's, that's a win for the Attorney General because it's clear that, you know, no, he, he doesn't trust that crowd. I think with good reason. I think his instincts are right. And that he just he's not on board with them by by not tipping them off, which then they would have picked up the phone and called the unions or called whoever, you know, and kind of and ruined the way they want to do the briefing, which is, you know, everyone's learning at the same time. I think it just distinguishes himself from he's not just some other, you know, slick Smith Hill politician. That's my. Oh, yeah. Opinion. No, absolutely. I, I said in a, in a functioning society, you know, where, right. where he could. Where he could trust the chief executive of the state, and I think no. that's I think it's a great. It's a great uh, learning lesson for the, for voters and all of us. Is yeah. you know, it, the reason this worked, even in our corrupt system, was we had a very very limited question of law and we had a person the, the attorney general who had to answer that question and so he's looking at it he's got a base of law to go through to compare it to and he also gets to look forward in the future and say do i want to be the attorney general who destroyed healthcare in the state if that's what he thought was going to happen and so he's got incentive to come to the right conclusion and that if if we had a functioning society he might have called up a a, a governor who wasn't going to tip off the unions and cause the big yep. show, the big storm and say you know governor this is a complicated decision. It shows that we have really things we need to work on under it. That's not my role. That's your role as governor. You might want to look into it. You know, that would be a way this this could happen. And I think the fact that we have a corrupt system is shown in the fact that nobody knew how to handle this. I mean, this is a, a made one of the biggest questions on the table right now in Rhode Island. Yes. What we're going to yeah. do with hospitals and healthcare, yes. and the idea that our our most Poyoka the the uh, governor, the Senate president, and the Speaker of the House did not sit down with their teams and game game out what to do in each situation, each yep. possible decision. The, what are you doing with your time? I they're, agree. They're, what they're doing, yeah. they're trying to figure out how to give away all the federal cash that just yes. floated to this people. But, right. but what they should be doing is sitting down and saying, "All right, the, one of the biggest things on the table right now is this health, this hospital merger." We need to know what are we going to do if it goes through? What are we going to do if it does not go through? What's the next step? What's the best thing for us politically and for our people that we represent as, as elected officials? They don't do that because they're not actually governing. And I don't think they know how anymore in Rhode Island. We've, we've, really, we've weeded out the people who could possibly even think in those terms. And we just get these you know, insiders and corrupt politicians who know how to shuffle things around so that they end up with a nice lobbying gig or union gig when they're done. In, in before we take the break, and there were no leaks. I mean, Peter, the attorney general, he assembled the team. He kind of thanked them and introduced them at the, the briefing. But there were three million documents, and he assembled the team to go through all of it. There were no leaks. And the reason I say that is, you know, it was just last week. Governor McKee still hasn't had a briefing or uh, had a chance. I haven't had a chance to ask him. But Channel 12 revealed they got another leaked memo uh, where he's going to use part of that 18 million of bonuses he's going to pay the state workers He's going to take it out of the general fund. And as a result of that, then Governor McKee kind of goes underground. He had no events planned on Friday, none on Saturday, none on Sunday, and then none on Monday. So if I'm Nerona, I, I would not tell someone that clearly can't stop leaking from his own staff and his administration. That because there were there was also a lot of pressure from the I can tell you the journal, the globe, they were definitely working and try to get info. This was locked tight. 
No one knew until they walked in, and then it was the Attorney General Peter Narona show. Folks, quick break. A lot more politics this week with Justin Katz right here on the John DePietro Show. The problem with your heating system? Call R.E. Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. 24-hour emergency service, gas boiler, oil burner, Coogan Heating, 401 732 6562 they're helpful trustworthy reliable explore their services look for them on facebook and the website is recooganheating.com residential services as coogie says let us into your home don't fix it alone plumbing heating and cooling from winter to summer trained technicians provide 100 percent service one customer at a time from service calls maintenance agreements to installation re coogan heating proud to help residential customers and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority call them today now it's cold it's going to remain cold call coogan heating today 401-732-6562 it's coogie it's 24-hour emergency service hey not long ago our hot water tank gave out what did i do did i panic did i try to fix it i called coogan heating 401 401- 732-6562 look for them on facebook and then the website is recooganheating.com our segment is politics this week with me is justin katz managing editor anchorrising.com and justin one just final note on peter narona i i i just view him differently as you know listen i'm, I'm very um i think fairly but I, i'm critical of some of our elected officials uh i i try to give reason as to why sometimes I'm critical of them. Peter Narona, um, I, I think the Republican Party also made a mistake. He does have a challenger um, this November in the election, but he's just cut from a different cloth. He was very effective U.S. attorney. He came in. He didn't waste any time. Day one, he was clearing out, cleaning house uh, on South Main Street at the attorney general's office. And then I view him as someone, see, I think he is someone that, uh, maybe again, it's entirely up to him, but I, I think he is someone that could maybe down the line envision himself in, in the Senate. And I know people were saying that, you know, Senator Reed was just going to pass the buck to Gina Raimondo when it was her turn. I'm not convinced of that, but he, he is a force. He is, um, he is completely different. He, he doesn't, you know, dine or hang out with the, those on Smithfield. You never hear about him with the, the lobbyists. He runs a, a, a tight ship. Um, and, and I think, um, I, I think it's unfortunate that of all the open races they have, the Republican party does have a candidate <laughs> to run against them. I actually even spoke to that person and I said, are you sure you don't want to run against the secretary of state, which they don't have anyone instead of running against the likes of a incumbent attorney general. But, um, <clears throat> I just want people to be clear, you know, I, I know sometimes a, a criticism of talk radio and this type of format is, you know, as if, and I've heard this at the state house, you act like everybody's, you know, they're all crooks and everything. I don't think that. And I certainly don't think that when it comes to the attorney general, he is just another level compared to uh, the two people that occupied that office in the, in the past. Patrick Lynch traveled the entire time. Any conference that was out of town, he was on it. You never saw him during the week. He was always off traveling as attorney general. And Kilmartin was always at his second home in Florida. So, I think it's the first time we've had someone that, to me, has run the the office probably the the best that we could expect someone would. Yeah, that's uh, that's possible. Again, have we have we have a low yeah. we have a low bar. Um, I've I've disagreed with some of what he how he's handled open meetings stuff and hmm. access to records sure. stuff. And so I and I don't honestly I don't have an insight into the office how that all breaks down. So it might just be he didn't get to cleaning that up yet. Uh, but I have to leave that leave that as an open question at this point. Now, uh, Governor McKee, his big final announcement. Now that he seems he feels that he has COVID uh, under control, he's gonna I, I believe do a full day of events. He's they've really kept him under wraps. They now feel that every time he's out in the public, if he's doing a briefing. Uh, I think the McKee people feel that they've he's had too much access to the media. Um, it is interesting to me, Justin Katz, that this is school vacation week. The kids in Rhode Island have to come back, still wear masks for a week, and then uh, supposedly get rid of them. But what are your thoughts on Governor McKee announcing uh, tomorrow that he is, in fact, a candidate 
for governor for the primary in September and then the November election, should he succeed in the September primary? Well, you know, it's not exactly unexpected. Um, I, I think you, you probably raised an inter- uh, uh, the right point, uh, you know, maybe at this point as, as he's, as all the COVID restrictions are starting to fall away, he thinks that's a good time to jump out onto the stage and say, ta-da. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of, I hope with the announcement, he, it means he's thought through his strategy and he's going to be firm, but I, I tend to doubt it in what we've seen in the past I year. I just, it just feels like it's just kind of arbitrary. They didn't know when to announce. So they said, eh, I don't know. How about next Tuesday? All right. Is that, do you have anything? Yeah, I'll, I'll go around that day and do a bunch of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have high hopes for the, the confident, the uh, competence of his campaign. Um, and it's, it's not exactly, as we said, a surprise. It is. Um, I, I think what is, though, is they initially had planned to do this in January. And because that's also, to me, just showed, I mean, look at the fallout, right? Dr. Scott left, COVID spiked high. It suddenly dominated the state again. Uh, a lot of people still upset about the holidays. I agree with you. I'm anxious to see if he's going to try to take some bows. You know, we did it. I told you we could make it through and everything else. I don't, I, I think also, Justin Katz, he's going to have some problems because now he's seen as the incumbent. Uh, boy, you know, the president is very unpopular right now. The price of inflation is out of control. I, I, I'm not I, I think this is going to be a tougher reelection bid for Governor McKee. In the past, maybe people thought, you know, he's going to have a huge advantage being in office for a year. So I guess my question to you is, do you think this past year has it benefited him or would he be better just being fresh with no baggage entering into the primary in September? <laughs> well, it's a generic question. It ought have benefited him, but he hasn't done very well. I mean, he's, he hasn't, he, he's had multiple personnel controversies, yes. know, mainly with bringing in people he knew from beforehand, immediately yep. jumping into it and taking what they could, it appears, in millions of dollars in contracts and so on. Uh, so that hasn't helped. The, the COVID situation, he's not as firm or pro, you know, order pro business as, as I had hoped for sure. So for him, I think he would have been a lot better off coming out fresh because a lot of people, he, his package, his product isn't very good. So a lot of people going with the packaging might've made, might've made the purchase as voters, but uh, because we've had a chance to, to try him out for a bit, I'm not, I think that's done him a lot of harm. Although I, I think with Seth Magaziner moving on to the congressional race, that does give him a, he a, a pretty an okay boost um it gives him a little bit more advantage because the field isn't as strong but um yeah i think being in office has has decreased his ability to get reelected. i think which is not you a know, good position to be in. It, it, it's not and the, the primary is is coming up closer um i think it's also a good dynamic to watch is going to be channel 12 kind of has been like the best with the debates meaning they they put a lot into it they get the PPAC. Uh, they have Tim White, Ted Nisi. I think sometimes they bring in Ed Patrick from the Globe as as the third panelist, although I don't know if they're going to do it this year. But, you know, the relationship that Governor McKee has, I would argue, the worst in the media is with Channel 12. He just has it out for them. He thinks that they have it out for him. Um, there's real I, and I think it's it's just good. I my opinion, good reporting on their end. And I think he he just doesn't like some of the stories that they've you know, come upon and gotten documents and this and that. But so so I think that's going to be difficult because, you know, they, they want to do the start doing some primary debates, which, believe it or not, in the next two months, it won't actually be that far out, because if you just wait till the summertime, then a lot of people are on vacation, not paying attention. So I'm anxious to see how that pans out, because in the past, Channel 12, they've they've just invested the most as far as resources and putting together debates. But Justin, two other elements of uh, Governor McKee's office. Again, folks, our segment of politics this week, which is uh, Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorising.com. Back in December, I was at the uh, uh, McKee-Matos briefing at the administration building. And who do I see? Ernie Almonte comes up to me. And I knew him when he ran for general treasurer. And he had been in Rhode Island for quite some time. He said he was living in Florida. He moved back to become chief of staff and lieutenant governor because he believed in her leadership. Last week, he announced he's leaving and taking a job with the League of Cities and Towns. My question is just like, who's vetting these people? Now, now granted, but like that, to me, that there's something wrong with the interview process. If you're the lieutenant governor, we're in a pandemic. 
you're going for the you know the position of lieutenant governor you hire this guy who's telling people i moved back to rhode island from florida because i believe in your leadership and he he immediately resigns and takes another job. But what what do you make of uh, Governor McKee now bringing in Eva Mancuso to act as like his special senior advisor? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not entirely sure how to what to think about it. I mean, McKee's big thing, and I think this would help him in debates and his relationship with the news media. If he would take stands, make a decision, take a stand, and there you go, live and die by it. That's what he needs to do. But it's it's almost like he doesn't even know how, or he doesn't know that he has to do that, or that that's how politics is supposed to work. And so that's where I am. I'm I'm a little bit uh, mixed feelings about. Him bringing in Mancusa. I mean, she, she's been around a long time. She's an insider. She knows how the system works and that's a deficit of McKee's. So I could, I can, I can make, I can write a story that says he's bringing in people who, who can help him fill his missing gaps as far as how the system works and, and what to do. Uh, that I, I don't believe that's the case though, because I, he hasn't given us any reason to believe he can think in those terms. So it's probably just a flailing governor looking around for some insider to try to help him somehow. He doesn't know how the machine works. And so here's one who's who's available for $174,000 a year uh, as a special advisor, whatever that means. Uh, so, you know, it, and the, the real marker for me is I, I don't know why he's hiring her, what she's going to do. You get the, the typical generic, oh, you know, we, we need good people to help us run the government and that kind of thing. But if he could articulate the reason I'm hiring this person, that would be a good, good evidence. So, and, but, you know, she's been around a while. She hasn't, I mean, the last I remember seeing of her was when governor Chafee wanted to move her from the, the state board of higher education to be a interim uh, commissioner of higher education, which I pointed out and turned out to be correct was against the code of ethics, like very, yeah. very obviously against the state code of ethics. So she, she comes in with that kind of history. So I, I, you know, it's, it's not, you're not exactly, it's not like she's, you know, flash forward in 10, 20 years and you've got Peter Nerona just as a free agent and some governor is bringing him in, right? This is somebody who's been an insider, been in the middle of some, some ethics controversies, although not, you know, major scandals, but still controversies. Uh, so, you know, I, as I said, I could see a, a way it could be good, but I don't think it's going to turn out to be more than just a, a crony, I, I've known Eva for 20 years. I knew her dad, who was a legendary. Tony Mancuso was a legend and legend in local law enforcement. Um, the last time we heard about Eva, and I'm, I'm not being unfair here, but was just in the last two years in the media, Her, she prosecuted her niece who stole half a million dollars from her law firm. And basically, you know, they were working all these longer hours and where's the money going? So I... Um, I just, I mean, and no one mentioned that in the news that she was, she, that was big headlines. She was doing interviews about it. It was very painful that, that uh, she actually brought charges that the niece, I, you know, went to jail. She was her goddaughter. As a matter of fact, she was the bookkeeper at the law firm. And so, I mean, without only know the specifics and I'm not trying to be mean here, but I also then view it as someone that because of some different instances, wouldn't mind collecting a hefty state paycheck. Um, I, you know, she ran for attorney general one time. I think, and it's the way it was described to me, is Governor McKee feels there's no one on his staff who will like aggressively back him with the media. And I think it is an interesting choice. He, he wanted to go with a woman and then someone who, you know, she's definitely like a no-nonsense uh, type. Again, uh, highly regarded, knows, you know, a lot of people. Um, but I, I think it's also, um, I think it also shows, I think, some of his shortcomings as opposed to like making the team better. Folks, quick break. A lot more uh, politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, Propane Plus number 401-885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and also now it's renewable online at propaneplus.com propane plus heating and cooling in massachusetts 
Call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Justin, it is interesting that more and more states are dropping a lot of the COVID regulations. We are seeing now that it is, you know, tapering down, never mind the good weather. And um, I'm just wondering, any thoughts you have on like a COVID update? It's still, though, they still extended the governor's emergency powers well into the month. And when those children get back from this February break, they're still going to have to wear the mask in school for another week. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm starting to really feel COVID's over. I mean, you go out, you see people in, in stadiums and so on. You go to stores, restaurants, whatever. People are, most people are behaving as if it's done. Uh, yeah. And I think government's just kind of catching up. Um, I think, I think recent, recently their moves have been very harmful. You know, the, I think people started to be more comfortable getting back to normal and then they clamped down with the masks. And I say, I think you've got, they've made, created groups of people. Well, I mean, most people will just you know, make their own decisions, but you've got people out there who now are just scared and will probably never take the masks off. I think the stop start nature of this has, has spooked them. And then you've got people who will never listen again, even if even if it might be the best thing to do to put on masks. They'll they'll just saying, you know what, I'm done. You've done this too many times. And I, say, I think it's been very badly mismanaged. I think the, you know, the general governor more time shows they're really not they're not on top of this. They're not standing up for anybody. The governor's been typically wishy-washy on all of it. You know, there's no firm stands, uh, no explanation of why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, it just all feels so haphazard. So I, th- I think the, pe- the people are going to be driving it uh, being over more than anything. And I think the, the, the governments are just sort of, sort of, you know, following it up. And I think we see that one interesting aspect of sending the decision back where it belongs in my view to the school districts is we're seeing that play out somewhere where yes. the government just runs, runs things and does what it wants. Like Providence, they right, right out of the gate. Yeah. We're, we're not going to get rid of masks. And then you've got other districts. Well, yeah, it's going to be optional or we're still thinking about it. So it, it's really shown how, how in some places, you know, like the strong hand of the centralized power is, is still, and largely driven by unions in this state is, is still super strong and elsewhere that people still have some influence, but I think the people will be driving. It'll just get to Providence last, if ever. Now the indoor mask mandate in our state, it's over, but over the course of the weekend, as I was in some different stores, I still see a lot of people wearing masks. So my question for you, Justin Katz is, I mean, it's very possible. Do you think the people just, they're not, they're not even sure what the policy is anymore or, that people, a, a lot of the, the far left will say, see, people still don't feel comfortable. Uh, the, the McKee briefings have not been, they're no, they're no longer televised. It's all this back and forth. I don't think it, people realize like what it really takes to get people to understand. When you see people in a store, do you think that it's possible a number of them don't realize that you don't have to wear it anymore? Or do you think it's, even though they know they don't have to, people just being cautious? I'm just curious. But I think it's a, it's a good mix. Uh, and I, I think it's probably a lot of gray area where people just stop paying attention to what the rules are and said, uh, you know, what? I, I don't know what they're talking about anymore. I'm just going to wear it. Um, yes. <laughs> some stores might have down the, the signs, perhaps. And so they still see the sign outside. Uh, but I, I think that's the, you know, that's the, the big deficit of the, the public health, you know, and not things aren't explained. And that's part of one of the reasons a mask mate mandate isn't going to work as public health, you know, because you, you it's just very difficult to send signals out to the public. This is the rule. Here's why. Uh, and that's very difficult. And it doesn't help, of course, that we've had somebody like Anthony Fauci out there lying. Masks do wear masks. I think so. I think there are people who, who are, I think it's a mixture. I think there are people who are just shell shocked and scared. And so they're wearing a mask, even even useless cloth masks, uh, because they just, it's just like, it feels like it gives them some protection. It's like a, a superstitious artifact at this point for some people. And then there are people who just, they don't know the word probably hasn't gotten to them and it'll, t- but I think generally people just, they need time to get used to the idea of not wearing it. It just, if they feel like there's some threat out there and that this thing can right. help them. Yes. And finally, Justin, what do you make Justin Katz of some of these uh, voting bills? Now, again, 
uh, I don't think none of them have made it out of committee, but they're definitely um, just interesting to me how some of the usual suspects immediately start crying race anytime anyone mentions voter ID. I, I'm very uncomfortable with some of the voting legislation that they're trying to put forth um, at the Rhode Island State House. Now, again, they haven't made it out of committee. And a lot of times these types of things, they can play both ways where, you know, for instance, Senate President Ruggiero has, he's got a primary against someone who actually did really well against him last time, I'm sure. So he's looking over his shoulder where, you know, they'll pass something in the Senate, but then the House, they agree they're going to kill it and vice versa. The House, they pass it to give themselves cover and then the Senate kills it. I'm just curious some of your thoughts on some of this, these new voting bills that they're putting out there. Well, the, yeah, this is the, I, I think this is starting to dabble into the the insider versus progressive dynamics of Democrats in this state. Uh, if you watch, it's, it's progressives like Tara Mack who really, really want to get rid of voter ID. Uh, and it, what's interesting in, in Rhode Island is you would, the thing with voter ID, not having voter ID is it makes it possible to cheat. And you would think the established partisans who run the state would have a the inside line on cheating. But I don't know if if they're they're worried about progressives ability to bring in national money uh, and and just get people to the polls cheating or not just without IDs and just uh, so it might be in the best interest of the establishment to to kind of keep that from happening. So I I think that's there's probably a lot of concern. If, if the insiders, which I've, you know, it's kind of a puzzle to me, you know, the, the, we would expect the insiders to know how to do it to have those, you know, the mail ballots, ballot harvesting, uh, but the progressives seem to be the ones who are all, all on board. I, I think that's, some of it's ideological, but some of it's just, maybe they've, they've got a better, better system of, of getting, it's more to their advantage. Uh, and I, I, so I think that's a big part of it. And it, we see some, some parallel to this in the redistricting where, you know, you, you get, they redraw the lines to help out incumbents. And in Tiverton, for example, they, they, they moved a district line for, for Representative Edwards' district right across the street from his son a little bit away down across town, just so, you know, if they want to inherit the seat, they can go ahead and do that. Uh, so they, you know, think about these, these things yes. and how it affects their, their electoral opportunities. But um, the, the fact that progressives, you know, everywhere they want, they want everybody to be registered, everybody to be signed up and be able to follow and track and, and control everybody, except when it comes to voting. There, uh, there it's impossible to get, it's racist to ask for IDs. And that, that's kind of a tell to me that they, they at least feel like just flooding the zone with votes uh, is is to their benefit. I think that's what we see with some, the, has some of the hesitance, but we'll see. I mean, things go into committee, they disappear and for further study, but then they pop exactly. out. Yeah. So it, it, we're not going to really know what the calculation of the insiders is until then. I think the whole voter ID, I think it's taken less significance since they've extended all the early voting, the mail ballots uh, during the pandemic, Gorbea, the Board of Elections, sending out all those mail ballot applications. Um, if, if you were going to try to do something nefarious in election, I, I just don't see the point. You don't need to send someone to the polls anymore with, you know, saying they're John Smith or whoever it may be. Not when you have the, the, the campaigns can ballot harvest. They can get all the ballots. They get all the mail ballots, the absentee ballots. You don't even have to mail them anymore. You can just put them in the dump box so i i i mean i remember when it passed and at the time there there were allegations that a bus would pull up and you know 20 people would get off and and they'd all come in and have the name of the person they're supposed to say i i think all of that is outdated now because there's there's no need for it when you have campaign people that can just go out in the field and the x counts as a signature and you just deliver you can deliver a thousand ballots. You can deliver five hundred votes. You can say here are all these people, and and uh, no one's going to question it once they get into the system. So, I think that the the voter ID has kind of fallen off. And something else that's missing from that, um, Justin Katz, is just the fact. As much as they like to say, "Where's all the evidence of, you know, voter fraud and all this other stuff?" Um, I just come back to there's no one looking for it. You know, I've, I've investigated this. The Board of Elections told me in the last 25 years, there's there's never been one person convicted of, hey, you filled that out. You said under penalty of perjury 
you were an American citizen, you were an island citizen, you signed there, uh, it turns out it wasn't true. They're simply not looking for it. And if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. And, and I think that's pretty telling. As much as they say, where's the proof? I think the real proof is that there's no one even looking for it. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of the problem we see with the, the Secretary of State, Gorbea, you know, getting rid of full birthdays availability. Yes. Because the public the public can't look into this. I, I had to no. kind of laugh in the, the article, one of the articles on the uh, voter ID, the Rhode Island ACLU said, oh, every election, our poll watchers see examples of people who, oh. who are turned away and they don't they don't fill out a provisional ballot. But there's no evidence of voter fraud. Well, maybe that was the evidence, right? Maybe yes. they didn't have ID. They were turned yes. away and they didn't fill out the provisional ballot because they knew they were frauds. Uh, it made me wonder why the ACLU, who's there watching this happen, didn't say, hey, why don't you fill out a provisional ballot? That would help. Right. So it's, it's exactly what you're saying. The, the people on the inside who, who like the corruption, they have no reason to catch voter fraud because no. it serves them. And so they're, and it's almost impossible for anybody in the public to prove it. And if you start to, you, you know, what are you going to do? Follow somebody home? And, you know, you start to have to get into kind of creepy land or at least invest a lot of resources in something that's just basically volunteer. But I think you, you raise a really good point about the, the mail ballots. And that might explain the, the division between the insiders and the progressives, right? The insiders know, hey, we've got mail ballots now. We, we don't need to cheat at the polls. The polls, you know, if you look, the last election anyway that swings republican the night of of the election uh, yes. even in rhode island uh, because the, the democrats are all using the mail ballot process uh so the progressives might that might be when their area to, to do the bus thing and and kind of push back insiders that's that could be two different forms of cheating competing in in our voter id law which kind of shows you how how desperately corrupt the whole thing is yeah, and that's a lot to ask. I mean, if you just step back. So, you know, I say to you, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 25 bucks. I need you to wait in line, go to this polling place and tell them that you're, you know, John Smith that lives at 5 Main Street, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that, that puts people off. That still is what if someone recognizes you? What if someone says, hey, wait a minute, that's not the that I, I just don't I don't think that's happening anymore. But I what, what's the point? Why even do that? when you could fill out 100 mail ballot applications and you're not going to come close to anyone. You don't have to wait in line. And then you're still going to get paid by the, by the ballot, by, by the vote folks. He is the managing editor for anchorising.com. It's Justin Katz. Just a great job as always. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. I'll talk to you soon. Make Henry oil your oil provider this winter. Give them a call today. Call Henry oil 401 521 0200 401-521-0200 henry oil serving most rhode island and southeastern mass automatic delivery budget plans service contracts lock and cap pricing you can depend on henry oil call them today 401-521-0200 reliable affordable fuel oil delivery fuel oil diesel gasoline delivery residential and commercial it's henry oil give them a call since 1947 you can depend on henry oil call them today make henry oil your oil provider 401-521-0200 401-521-0200 remember online at henryoil.com go with the original go with the best it's henry oil